welcome to episode 74 of the new improved monthly false neutral podcast i'm pete garrett and eric are both with me as always welcome folks hey how's it going how's it going good to talk to you guys again yes as is our new schedule it's been a little over a month since we last talked to each other so what's been going on what updates do you guys have that you want to tell our listeners I've uh, been working on the couple of restoration projects that I should have never started, but did nevertheless. Uh, so I posted on our Facebook page, but um, I'm working on a little Honda 50 and have gotten most everything sorted out. I just sent out all the parts to the uh, zinc plater. On the last episode, you were asking about recommendations on a plater. Yeah. Who did you finally find to do the work? Uh, it's a shop out in North Carolina. I don't recall the name off the top of my head, but, um, they do the, the barrel plating process. So, um, the setup fee is really minimal because they just have, uh, they basically just put all the parts in a barrel that tumbles around and it has a process that plates the parts. So they don't actually have to be like racked and dipped and all that, like a, you know, traditional plating setup. So, um, so yeah, I had, uh, all the parts for my little Honda 50 sent out and then also the KX250 that I'm working on. Um, the further I get into that, I realize that, oh, it's such a basket case. I mean, so many things are just worn out. I mean, just like incredibly worn out on it. Um, you know, and so it was my goal to make every part so it was like brand new. And I'm realizing that that's probably just not going to be feasible. I was taking apart the rear caliper and it attaches to the, the mount. And, you know, the, the caliper would slide in and out on, on the little pins. It, but like even the, the aluminum housing is so worn out that like the calipers are super sloppy on it. And, and there's not this, a whole this lot. Break on the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, wow. I don't. I don't like think a modern I ever. Style bike. I never paid enough attention to realize that that had a rear disc brake. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty new. It's a 2001. So, I mean, oh, oh this is since... this isn't your 50. No, no. The 50 this is the 250. The 250. Yeah. Oh, okay. The KX 250. I'm talking about. Oh, oh, okay. Well, and I mean, yeah. To be fair, the the 50 is just as worn out, but luckily it's much more simple. And also, um, they made it for so long unchanged that you can still get so many things for it. I, for a minute there, I thought a Z50 had a disc brake on the back, and I was gonna, I was pre- <laughs> no. prepared to be I don't really even impressed. think the new 50s have disc <laughs> no, brakes. No, I no. think that they're all all drums. drums yeah. yeah. I, I would okay. be a much smarter person if I just went out and bought a new 50 <laughs> rather than restore <laughs> this one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, this would be a better fortune. podcast if I actually listened to it while we were recording it. Paid <laughs> <Need> attention. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've got those balls rolling. I'm building a new powder coating oven. I used to do my own powder coating in the past, but uh, then got rid of my oven. And I want to do it again, but I wanted a smaller oven, so I'm building that. And it's actually pretty cool. It's turning out really well. So I'll probably post some pictures of that pretty soon, too. Um have you seen the do-it-yourself powder coating equipment from Eastwood? Yeah. That looks like a pretty slick process. And they even have a ovenless, like, they show a motorcycle frame hanging in front of a, just like a, a super huge heat lamp. Yeah. I, I know like, some people who've used it, uh, both, and uh, you want to use the bake-on the bake version. Yeah, you want to use and, the oven. 
Yeah. Sure. And, well, I mean, and, this, and there's, this is a and bake on version, but they're saying that you can do it in sections by just simply heating it no. up with this. It was like, yeah, that, no. that looks pretty yeah. jinky to me. No. But and like, honestly, it, it is pretty easy to build an oven. So yeah. the actual applicator, their, their little electrostatic applicator yeah. gun looks like it actually works pretty well. So. Yeah. So I started out with just like a little hundred dollar powder coating gun. And um, pretty quickly realized that that wasn't going to cut it. So I upgraded to a gun. I think it cost me about 600 bucks, but it actually sprays really well. It, it works great. And, you know, the oven, I'm probably into the total oven build 300 bucks. And it's a really nice unit. So, I mean, if somebody wanted a powder coat, they could get into a whole setup for $1,000 and, and actually turn out some really professional looking stuff. Yeah, it's a pretty good process. Is there uh, plans online for that? Because I've, I've thought about doing something like that for like Duracoat kind of jobs or Cerakote. Yeah. Well, but. yeah, I, I um, doubly I use it for Cerakote, or at least I did um, with my last oven. I used a Cerakote uh, gun parts for myself. But I wouldn't say that there are plans, but there are a lot of builds where people have um, kind of documented their own process. The whole thing's really simple. A lot of times people just use like a, a two-door kind of like storage cabinet and they insulate the outside and put a couple of oven heating elements in it and the parts to do it are really cheap it's just a matter of wiring it up which um there's lots of wiring diagrams for it online so and eric you're in luck because that garrett guy from the false neutral podcast promised to put all his plans out on uh their facebook page on the the facebook page so that's going to happen anytime now Yeah, well, I have the whole oven frame done, so now I just need to wire it. So I'll put all that on there. So you need to you need to post some pictures out on the website. Yeah, I'll do that. And uh, I think that you've had some updates with Bull Talkenstein. Yes, I I scored a uh, 360 Frontera, which is their big enduro bike, a real torque monster motor. What I thought was going to be cases and a crank. Incomplete engine, you know, the cases and the guts of it, which are like transmission gears and the crank, are what I thought I was going to get. Yeah. I got a complete engine minus the cylinder and the head. Wow. Yeah. Piston, everything. But the interesting thing is my, the piston looks in really good shape, but it's drilled out for a reed valve. It's got holes drilled on the intake skirt for a reed mm-hmm. valve conversion. There's a reed valve 360 cylinder out on eBay right now, but it doesn't include the reed cage or anything. It's, it was no, one, one part at a time, one part at a time. So, <laughs> and, and the cylinder is more than I paid for. I paid $199 for the complete 360 motor. That being said, I probably will still go with my 200 cc motor, my 200 motocross motor. This would be really cool. Originally, I thought, I'm going to buy this, and if I can score a 360 cylinder, great. And if not, this has got the exact same gear set as the transmission that I already purchased. This is in good enough shape. This will have all the little, you know, shims and springs and everything inside the crankcase. I can start with a complete engine, just take this apart, use the parts that I need with the 200 cylinder and piston that I have ready to go. So, yeah. I was into it. I was working. And then we had a little plumbing problem. Every single bit of cast iron drain plumbing in our 1957 house had to be ripped out and replaced. Yeah, I've been there. 
six days it took the plumbers, which was supposed to be a one-day job. Yeah. In the process, the plumbing company put a hole in the drywall in one bathroom. Not only did they ruin the drywall, but actually ripped a stud out in the other bathroom. Good. So now I have to do drywall work, drywall patch in one, and literally rip out a wall, replace a stud, and re-drywall one of my bathrooms. (laughs) They, they broke our kitchen countertop and they had to replace that. And then when they replaced it, it's a 10 foot wide countertop and it was five eighths of an inch taller on one side than the other. So I, that's when I fired him. I was like, get out, just get out. I'll do it all myself. So I leveled out our kitchen counter, got that done. Uh, the plumbing work they did was fine, except that they didn't run the main line out of the house. And when they were, you know, using a sawzall on a vertical pipe that had Mm -hmm. two inches of crud built up on the inside of it from 60 years, uh, it all fell down into the one part of the pipe that they didn't replace. Yeah. So so the next day. The next day, it all clogged up, and we had a backup, and they had to come out and auger out all the way out to the sewer. And in the process, to get to all the pipes, all the stuff that I had in the back of the garage where my workshop was had to get pulled out, moved into another part of the basement, packed in a corner. So uh, it just disrupted any progress I was going to make for a couple of weeks. Yeah, no kidding. So I now have an unscheduled bathroom remodel. That has to happen first. <laughs> That's a bummer. Having had my basement flood last year and having it take six weeks for them to, for it all to get done by the time our new uh, drain tile and everything put in. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just on, on my end, I just say there's been almost, there's been no progress, but it's also called winter here. And it's been bleep, 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 bleep cold. And it, Every time it snows and it melts to the point where like there's no snow and you're like, oh, okay. Then we get another six inches of snow again and it just starts all over again. Yeah. Um, so and, and you on, get and it now because you don't have a heated garage. True. And, uh, and then on top of that, I just had, uh, arthroscopic surgery on my left shoulder a week ago yesterday as we record this. So, uh, I'm, uh, I actually am doing pretty good with it, but yeah, PT. Now, so now are you, uh, are you able to move it? Are you still locked down? Nope. I, um, been, uh, I, I've had it out of the sling since Saturday and, um, I've started doing some light PT work with it. And then, uh, I start formal PT next week. So when I was 23, I tore up my shoulder and I dislocated about 30 times. I could literally wake up in the middle of the night, roll over and dislocate my shoulder. So I had to <laughs> sleep with it strapped to my side in a, in a Velcro brace and about uh, 10 years ago, I finally had it repaired, and they had to stitch up the glenoid capsule and rebuild the labrum with some anchors and stuff, and I had to have it strapped to my side for six weeks. I had one of those little blocks where they tape it down, and I was literally yep. not supposed to move it for six weeks. Yep. That was really tough. Yeah, they. Uh, this one wasn't too bad. There was He removed a layer of um, of tendon. Cause he was going to stitch it and it, it just was too fine. So he says, I, I literally just peeled it away like uh like a layer of an onion. Wow. <laughs> and then he uh, got the Dremel out 
and uh, cleaned up a bunch of bone spurs that were in the socket. So it eh, should be good to go. And this one feels a lot better than when the I had the right one done a few years ago. So hopefully so it'll be. So you're going to be 100% by spring? Yeah, I'm hoping in four to six weeks I should be 80, 85% good to go. So Good deal. Yeah. Uh, speaking of winter, we have a whole bunch of just different topics that we had put in our show notes. Uh, one of them is that at the X Games, Harley is sponsoring snow hill climb on Sportster-based hill climb bikes. Which to me just sounds like the most awesome sport in the world. I had never heard of snow motorcycle hill climbs, but that just sounds like really fun gonzo craziness. I mean, it sounds like it's fun, but I also feel like it's the dumbest thing in the world. Like, I just wonder how much Harley is paying X Games to do this because uh, there are... You know, they make the snow track kits for all the big dirt bike manufacturers, which would be like way more X Games like. That's true. But, I, I didn't think but about that. Yet yeah, you have right. like the Harley, you know, like this antiquated Harley that they're racing uh, up the snow hill. And the only thing is so that, I just, that looks a lot like a traditional hill climber, you know. That's true. The, but like X Games, I feel like is, um, you know, they want to cater more to... Uh, I feel like a younger generation with more modern technology, and, and it is cool. I mean, the 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 old style hill climbs are cool. I just it seems it seems odd. It's, I I don't know like where the motivations are at in this. I will say that if you had like some 450 motocrossers with the with the snow track kits on them, with the ski yeah. and the and the track on the back, that sounds so much more capable. I'm not sure it would be as fun. Because you could just have guys, oh, I mean, uh, it would like be a snowmobile. You just go up the hill. This, right. I'm sure you're going to have some guys just totally biting it and ending up in a yeah, snowbank. Yeah, definitely. There is, there is definitely a different dynamic with the, the Harley motor and also without the track and all that. I think it'll be really exciting to watch. So there is that. One of the guys that I used to announce uh, as he was coming up through the different ranks in Canada, uh, Cody Matichuk, um, hell of a racer and had he had a little more backing, maybe could have done something here in the States, but it's Canada, so there's no money up there. Um, he just won uh, at least one, if not two, gold medals at the X Games on, on like the snowcross bikes or whatever they're called with the, the ski up front and the, the tread mm-hmm. up the back. So um, this kid is incredibly talented. But the, here's the crazy thing. You know, he'll do this for like three months out of the year and probably makes five times the money he ever would have you know, actually racing motorcycles. So, yeah, cause it's, it's, it's very specialized, but, um, right. Yeah, but it's niche, but they get, there's money in there. I wonder if, uh, this has anything to do with the other thing that we were going to talk about with, you know, Harley <laughs> Davidson sales. Yes. We uh, have another, rapidly declining. We have See, um, another Harley story, which is, uh, kind of more significant to me living in Kansas city. Uh, Harley Davidson is closing the Kansas City assembly plant. My employer is a tier one Harley supplier. We make a lot of the, uh, lighting equipment for Harleys. And from what unofficial gossip I've heard, they've just been waiting for the axe to fall because, yeah. uh, the new, what is it? The new soft tails are only being assembled in York, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The old ones were assembled here, but now they only have the street 
and the Sportster lines here, which really aren't enough to support everything. And the only engines they assemble here are the, the water-cooled street motors. So, yeah, it's, it's not a huge surprise. Yeah. And as much as I rip on Harley, I... I want them to stay around. And I'm also sad that uh, they're going to close a plant and, and for all the people whose jobs are going to be impacted. That's that's kind of sad. And I I wish that they did something to make themselves a little bit more competitive. And maybe it is the X Games snow bike thing. I don't really know. But, you know, and I also wonder because uh, you added into there that um, the median age of motorcycle ownership has increased from 32 to 47 since 1990. <clears throat> And I wonder if that is because less young people are into motorcycles or or more older people are into motorcycles. I'm not really sure. I, I think it's a combination of that whole boom of people that had, you know, Honda S90s in the 60s. They grew up. They had to put kids through college. So they got rid of their toys. And then the boomers got to the point of, well, damn it, I'm going to do what I want to do finally. And they went out and mm-hmm. bought a motorcycle. And now I think they're either aging out or simply losing interest. Okay, I did that, and now I want to do something else. Uh, I think there's less interest in, what do I want to say? Not motorsports, but uh, power sports in general. Mm-hmm. Internal combustion, whether it's cars, bikes, whatever. I think there is less interest by a lot of younger people when it was the sixties, every kid just couldn't wait to their 16th birthday. And the first thing they wanted to do was put enough money to get a jalopy and have their own car. I don't think that culture is the same now. It's, you know, Oh, the Xbox one X man. That's what I really want to save my money for. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in college I'm surrounded. So I'm 31, but I'm surrounded by a lot of people that are 21 and younger. And, I have not yet come across a single other person who is interested in power sports. And I'm talking like college wide. I have not met a person, you know, because I'm always talking about motorcycles. And so if I bring it up, I get looked at like I am from a different planet. It just doesn't really seem to be uh, a thing anymore, which is kind of depressing. Um. Uh, the other thing on the other side of the Harley Davidson argument is it looks like they finally made the announcement to that they're going to do the the electric the electric motorcycle. Oh, really? Yeah, it's well, not that's probably... going to be the live wire, but it's going to be like the live wire. Yeah. How close, we don't know whether it's going to look yeah. like it or I mean, that's all up in the air, but they are going to produce something. It's probably pretty good timing with, uh, you know, like MotoGP announcing their uh, electric bike class. Um you know, it just seems like there's more and more hype in the industry. And if Harley Davidson can kind of take advantage of some of that uh, existing enthusiasm for electric power, then hopefully that can help. Yeah, which kind of brings do you know, us, but I was going to ask, do you know where they're going to be manufacturing or producing those uh, Harley Davidson electric powered bikes? I don't um, I don't think they've announced it. I, I would yeah. have to assume it's going to be in York, Pennsylvania, because I think yeah. they're consolidating it would be really dumb of them to close a factory and then turn around and start a factory somewhere right. just to make a what's going to be a low production electric bike so yeah. it maybe they could they could even make it at the headquarters in Milwaukee i don't know yeah um but that does you you brought up the next 
topic that we wanted to talk about, and that is the Moto GP's new Moto had, E. Yeah, Moto E. Eric, you're a resident racing expert. Uh, they've had a, an electric class. Was that not, not in, part of Moto GP or correct? Okay. Um, it, I've been trying to think of it all day. Um, and since I saw this announcement this morning of what it was called, because I actually called one of those races when they, because it was a worldwide deal and, it, and they raced in Canada, um, along with the Canadian series. And then they ended up running side by side. They ran, ran in, in conjunction with a MotoGP race at Laguna at least once, if not twice. But this was 10 years ago. Right. Uh, so, but no, this is a whole new effort and it's going to essentially be like a spec bikes spec series. It's only five races. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that these races are only going to be like 10 laps, which seems awful short, but it's, it's filler for the MotoGP race when the Isle of Man is now looking at doing, you know, you're doing two laps on electric bikes at the Isle of Man now. So, right. Which, mm-hmm. which I get excited about because to me, the, what is it? TT zero. Yeah. The, the electric Isle of Man class. And I think I said this on a podcast a long time ago, but to me, that gets back to what the Isle of Man TT was in the early 20th century, which was not necessarily just a road race on a really tough course, but it was a bit of an endurance champion. You know, in, in 1914, 1920, just getting around the course was an accomplishment. I think we've kind of moved back to that, and I and I like that. And I wanted to bring that uh, the whole idea of a spec class. I have said before here and when I was on uh, Camden Tub a long time ago talking to Bradley Brownell, I dislike spec classes as a flagship class. Now, uh, the Asia Road Race Championship, they have a, a support class, which is the Asia, Asia Cup Challenge something or other. But it's a spec class for, uh, Suzuki GSXR 250s. Really great racing. I really enjoy that because it's always tight racing, but I think you need to have, regardless of what form of motorsports it is, you need to have a balls out, any technology allowed, whatever, uh, advantage you can find in the dyno room or the machine shop, you should be able to bring to the track. Only yep. because I think I like the mechanical stories. And if racing is going to improve the breed, then you got to have it as a laboratory, actual laboratory. Right. And if you go back right. to some of the eras, like when that was, you know, the two stroke and four stroke battles in the late fifties and early sixties on the Grand Prix circuit, that was really cool. Or if you go back to when, you know, Honda was doing the weird NR oval piston stuff yep. in 570, you know, yep. to me, I find that stuff really fascinating. And I think you can go to any type of motorsports and the stories of the really brilliant rider who didn't have as good a bike, car, truck, whatever, and had to push it within an inch of its capabilities just to be competitive. Whether they win or lose, that's still a really cool story. You might not have, you know, handlebar to handlebar racing every time, but I love the backstory that you get when you have something other than everybody on exactly the same machine. Uh, TTX GP was the name of the series. It only ran for a couple of years. And uh, that was, to to your point, one of the cool things was there was some very finished motorcycle, finished in the sense of production-ish looking, 
or professionally put together. And then there were a lot of like, or a number of like, this dude assembled a bunch of parts in his shed. Right. right. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it looked the part that way, very crude, but at least they were trying something. And then to your point, and that was just, it was very cool. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to see, this is just dipping their toe in the water for MotoGP in my eye, just because of, um, Formula E beginning to take off. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of how yeah. I'm looking at it. I mean, I feel like it would be pretty cool if they, if the battery life isn't good enough to do more laps than to be able to, you know, swap power units when they come into pit. I think that would be really cool because it would add that whole dynamic of being able to swap them quickly. Even if it is a spec class, then at least you rely a little bit more on your team where there's mm-hmm. more variable involved because you have to make quick pit stops. But, you know, um, I figure I could, they I can do. Sorry, go ahead, Pete. (laughs) I could even see something like a spec engine and battery kit. But let people do whatever they want with the chassis, you know? Yeah, Yeah. right. Moto 2 rules. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and and that's a good point for a a flagship um, spec racing. I like how competitive the racers get, and I I understand the advantage for, like, privateers who don't have the same resources uh, as some of the the big-name teams, but it's kind of, in a way, it's boring. I mean, I think it's fun to watch in person, but on TV, it's just like a cluster of of motorcycles. Um, But, yeah, I think it would be cool if there was just a little way to add some more variability to it even if it is a suspect class so well I, but i'm, I know I'm excited like, to see it i know with formula one car racing it got to the point where mm-hmm. it was so expensive that nobody could afford to do it you know when you're talking right. about you know titanium everything and uh well yeah and also when they're changing their power units every two or three years and then a, 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 a team has to come up with an entirely new engine design that's i mean it costs an insane amount of money to do that. Yeah, but I don't you, remember uh, what did they say. It's like five hundred million or a billion dollars somewhere in there to run a, a Formula One team for a year. I think it's five hundred million, yeah. maybe more than that. Yeah, but astronomically expensive. Ferrari and uh, Mercedes, yeah, they're they're spending about half a billion a year. Yeah, which yeah. which is kind of absurd. But I could even see you could come up with a formula. That, that makes it more affordable without specking everything and saying, you know, here's your tub or here's your chassis and here's your engine and you got to use this. Yeah. And also that just invites people to cheat. I mean, if you go back right. to the NASCAR days that it was supposed to be a stock car. Yeah. And, but like Smokey Unit yeah. was built in a seven eight scale yeah, <laughs> car. And, and things like he would pressurize the fuel tank to make it right. bulge. And then yeah. right before the end of the race, when they put jacks under the car, he would slip one underneath the fuel tank to pop it back into place before the end of the race. So it's like, Uh if you just say, hey, do what you want to do, then you avoid that kind of cheating. Yeah, but supplying the engine and even letting teams do their own ECU tuning, I think would be pretty cool. They'd probably all settle on pretty much the same exact mapping, it'd be my guess, but... Uh, nevertheless, there'd also be that variability. But yeah, also letting them run their own chassis, their own setups, their own suspension manufacturers, their own brakes. Um, I, I think that would be a good way to kind of balance the specness, give it a little bit more variability. Okay, last couple things that I wanted to cover. 
on the Hooniverse Slack chat, one of the guys asked, who do you think is really doing well online? Meaning media outlets, magazines, businesses. Who who do you think has a really good online presence and social media and stuff like that? And the one that came to my mind immediately is Motorcyclist Magazine. Oh, for uh, sure. If, if you follow their YouTube channel, they are doing some really cool stuff. They've got the the uh, kind of a, a question and answer little tech segments that they do. They've got some fun rides and stuff that they go out and they videotape uh, when they did the, I think it was the 300cc dual sports going up Highway yep. 1. Uh, yep. A while back, they did one where they road raced a, uh, an MB5. Really cool yeah. stuff like that. And then they've got the, and unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me, and I forgot the guy's name. One of their staffers does the uh, MC Commute, where... Yeah. He, um, uh, not Ari. Uh, Zach. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I realized he's not doing anything different than a hundred other motorcycle vloggers, except for two things. One is he always has new bikes available to him to ride. So it's, he can right. constantly do something new. And the other thing is he rides, he's a professional motorcycle journalist. He has a really good perspective on what's good and bad. Cause I've noticed most of the times it would, that you go to search for a, a video on a bike and you get a vlogger that's out on his bike with his, action camera you know this this is the dialogue um yeah so this is my new bike uh i i really like it i just got it and uh it's nice because um it's nicer than my old bike that i don't have anymore right and it's like that and also like you can tell they just went to a dealership asked if they could test ride one and then rode it like really quickly around the block a few times um whereas it's not like they don't have a lot of experience on it yet. And so I feel like when they do the MC commutes with with Zach, like he's already ridden the bike. He already knows what he wants to talk about, what's good about it, what's bad. He does his commute and he's not he's not trying to sell himself for the channel. He's just doing his thing. And right, it just seems right. so much more natural <clears throat> compared to so many other of the moto vloggers. Here, here's well, and here, here's the one problem, though, and it's, it's hard enough driving and, and doing it let alone riding and doing it, which I've done twice. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to keep thoughts in your head straight and concise, which I don't necessarily do the best job of. And pay attention to what's sitting going on the road. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're talking, you're driving, and, and the guys who are very good at it, it looks like the most natural thing at it. And having done this style of video for uh, six, seven, eight years now, for my car reviews, it's it's hard. So I, I cut some people some slack unless they're like, but you but the idea is you like to your point, you have to have some thoughts in your head before you start hitting record. Yeah, there, there was uh, a little, little guy. But I remember one of them where like his shifter fell off uh, while he was doing <laughs> uh, one of the things. And so like he had to pull over. He got out his toolkit, like had to repair the bike. But what I like is a he left all that in Um so, you know, a motorcycle magazine, I sometimes um, get suspicious of where their motives lie and like whether or not they would actually show um, a fault because of, you know, money and all that. Um, but so I like that he just everything that happens, he throws it in. Uh, he never really misses a beat and it just seems so natural. And also he does everything from Harley's to 
gold wings to you name it. I mean, every kind of motorcycle you can think of, there is one in and, there. So, and and I think that you know the production values aren't over the top, right? On any of their stuff, you know, their their yeah. their tech segments or anything. I mean, I know when they did the the dual sports up the coast, they had some drone photos and some really nice yeah. stuff there. But most of their stuff isn't. I don't want to say it's it's quantity over quality. I think it's quality content over quality production because yeah. some of their stuff is pretty bare bones, single camera stuff or just him with his, yep. with, with his helmet camera, but they're still really entertaining. And I, if you haven't seen their YouTube channel, go check them out. Yeah. One I've, I've liked of late, they just started doing it this way in the last few months is uh, the two uh, 44 teeth guys where they kind of sit around a fireplace or wherever, uh, somebody's someplace and sort of have a conversation about like, say a bike launch and they're talking about it. And then they cut away to actually being at the launch and sort of rolling commentary as they're writing and then coming back. And I mean, so that, that takes some planning and some editing. No, I, hadn't, I haven't seen anyone do it that way before. So I thought that was different, especially when you look at from a British standpoint, MCN, which is like, hey, we're out at this launch, blah, 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 blah. 90, sec- 90 seconds of talk, 90 seconds of on-track footage, uh, 90 seconds to two minutes of summary. There's your review. <laughs> you yeah, know, like- and also MCN, when they do a like a shootout and they have all their same people, they're pretty good. But like their personalities uh, sometimes just like, they're not great on camera. Like Michael I can tell Mays they're is great. Okay, and there's one other guy who's not bad, but they've got a couple who are like literally will yeah. put you to sleep. It's kind of painful. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Are are we through all of our topics that we wanted to bring up? I think so. Okay. The last thing is, I just went out to our Facebook feed and I posted a video that just dropped today or a day or two ago uh, from one of the. Indian uh, bike magazines that I follow on Facebook on the TVS Zeppelin, which is a 200, 210 cc, something like that, uh, single cylinder cruiser. And the interesting thing is it has a hybrid, what I, 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 they called it a something like a hybrid starter generator. So the starter motor, when you're driving, charges a battery and then it's used as a torque multiplier or a, a torque increase. Not so much full-time hybrid like a hybrid car, but it's designed to under acceleration to give you more torque out of this little 200 or so cc engine, which to me sounds pretty darn fascinating. I think that's a really, really good uh, implementation of hybrid technology. Yeah. And this little cruiser is, it's a little bit transformer looking. As I said on a forum where we were talking about it, I know I should think it's really hideous because I'm more than 12 years old, but I honestly (laughs) think it looks kind of cool. So everybody go out to our Facebook feed and leave a message about what you think of the TVS Zeppelin, which has to be the best name for a concept (laughs) bike. I thought it was a really innovative Thing. And I think that brings up another point. Here you've got an Indian manufacturer, TVS, doing something that the Japanese have not really introduced yet. Kind of like people are now starting to look at Kia and Hyundai as, wow, right. they're, they're not second tier anymore. We right. may be looking at some Indian manufacturers like, uh, Royal Enfield came out with the, the 750 twins and the Himalayan 
or I, I was told it's pronounced Himalayan. Yeah. Uh, so if you don't follow any of the bike magazines or, or manufacturers in India, that's a really, really fascinating market. So there yeah. you go. Cutting edge journalism. You won't hear on any other podcast. <laughs> um, I like it. Uh, sorry, just as I was looking at that on our Facebook page, uh, Garrett, you have you had a chance to ride in uh, any evaluation yet on your new helmet? Nope, none yet. Uh, although we have had some pretty beautiful spring-like weather here pretty recently. Um, I almost went on a ride today, but didn't quite get to it. But I might tomorrow. I'll try out that new Bell Star helmet for the first time. Uh, I haven't yet got the photochromatic shield for it also. I should probably order that soon because... That was one of the reasons why I wanted the Bellstar helmet is not only was it priced right and got great reviews, but they make the photochromatic shields for it. So no longer will I have to carry a tinted shield along with my clear. I can just uh, run the same shield all day, every day. So I'm pretty excited about that. But um, yeah, but definitely by the time we do our next podcast, I'll have a full report on that. So I need I need a new helmet, so I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the fit and finish and and everything about the helmet so far seems to be really really nice. Um, even comparing that to Arai helmets like uh-huh. I've used in the past, so um, I'm excited for it. I'll give you a report here pretty soon. When I was having this plumbing done, I had to get both spiders out of the garage. Mm-hmm. And we live on a corner lot and we've got two different driveways, one off one road and one around the corner. So I just literally pulled them both out, drove them out around the corner and back in the other driveway. It was like 23 degrees. Yeah. No, I take that back because <laughs> it was above freezing. It was, it must have been like 36, 38 degrees. And I so wanted to just keep going. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to go in, get my snow bibs on, put my helmet on and go. And then I looked at the street, and our streets here are just white with salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there as well. <laughs> and and, and uh, oh, which which reminds me, I brought that up last week or two ago when I was on the Camden Tub podcast, our sister podcast in the Hooniverse Podcast Network with Cameron Vanderhorst. And uh, so go listen to that. And today I sent out a press release for Smack Dab. That's it's officially looking, official. It's looking to be. Bigger than ever this year. We've already got 30-some people signing up, and a couple people signed up just because some people shared it on Facebook today, and I've already received their registration. So looks like it's going to be a big deal. And I, there was one writer's forum that I happened to get – somebody sent me a link to that they had mentioned it. And someone was like, yeah, I saw that last year, and I couldn't figure out why the heck anyone would torture themselves by riding across the plains in a straight line for 16 hours, which is kind of what uh, Cager said when he was on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of the point. Yep. That's what makes it a challenge. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think uh, we're just over 40 minutes. Uh, we will wrap it up here. We'll see you next month. Thank you, gentlemen, as always. Yeah. Talk to you soon. And that's an episode. So long, folks. 